Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Staffing Referrals, the only automated referral management platform chosen by smart staffing firms. Tired of wasting money on traditional job boards? Sick of reminding recruiters about promoting your referral program? Wish you could eliminate admin work spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews? That's where Staffing Referrals comes in. Imagine transforming your entire talent pool into digital recruiters on behalf of your company. Think about how happy you'll make your team by eliminating wasted time spent tracking referrals and scheduling interviews. There's a reason that Staffing Referrals is one of the fastest growing software platforms in our industry. It's because staffing executives want to scale faster by automating recruiting processes. It's because with Staffing Referrals, you can actually see an ROI. And it's because our world is now more digital than ever and your candidates expect you to keep up. Don't get passed by the competition. Stop missing referrals and start recruiting smarter. Get staffing referrals and improve your tech stack today. To claim one free month, visit www.staffingreferrals.com show. That's staffingreferrals.com show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Dan Pollock, the CEO of Advantis Global. Dan, thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, if you could go ahead and kick things off by giving us a little intro and kind of a background on how you got into staffing. Thanks, David. Uh, really appreciate you having me. Excited to talk. So uh, I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, went to school at Penn State, played volleyball there. And after school, uh, got right into the staffing industry. Started off as a recruiter at Aerotech. I was there for seven years, recruited, sold, and managed. And then uh, I got married and my wife and I were up for an adventure and uh, we started our nomadic life where we moved all across the country several times. So I was with Modus after Aerotech for 10 years. Modus was purchased by Deco and I was in a variety of different leadership roles there. I ran branches, I ran the West Coast, I ran the East Coast, and then I finished up running uh, all of national accounts for Modus, about $800 million worth of business before joining as the Avantis CEO in 2017. Awesome. Awesome. And with that, could you tell me a little bit about where Advantis is in terms of annual revenue and what your uh, growth looks like for 2022? Sure. Yeah, we've, we've been on a great trajectory these last few years. So we have two different businesses. We have Advantis Global, which is an IT staffing company. Our clients are the big tech companies of the world. We're headquartered in San Francisco, the Bay Area. So you can imagine all the big names out there that we do business with. And then we have a healthcare staffing business where we place travel nurses and allied professionals all across the U.S. Both businesses have been growing really well. So last year, we did roughly 180, or $180 million, I'm sorry, in revenue. That was up from $85 million the year before. This year, we're trending. We will double again this year. We'll probably cross over the $400 million mark consolidated. That is incredible. Is that being driven mostly through the medical division or IT? I mean, you're in two sectors that are going unbelievably hot right now. Yeah. So we got lucky, uh, fortunate with our IT client base. When the pandemic hit, big tech, they just pivoted to work from home. It was super easy for them. Our clients started 
hiring remotely and it, they didn't miss a beat. We actually grew 30% in 2020. And last year we grew 56%. We are hopeful that we will be somewhere between 45 and 50% on the IT side this year. And then, yeah, um, of course, healthcare, yeah. it's gone nuts. It's gone nuts. So last year, the healthcare business did 97 million. This year, it'll do over 300. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's wild. That's wild. And uh, is it mostly driven by travel nursing or is there, are you doing locums and allied or? Just, just nursing and allied. Yeah. So, we started Advanced Medical in 2018. We put our first clinician to work in July of 2018. Not a lot of revenue that first year, but we learned a lot. I think we did a lot yeah. in revenue. In 2019, we did roughly 5.9 million and we started to figure things out. One of the big key pivotal moments was we got our joint commission accreditation in yep. December of 19 that allows us to place clinicians at every healthcare system across the country. And then when the pandemic hit, that momentum just really accelerated. So we consider ourselves a high growth company, which means we're constantly reinvesting back in the company to grow faster. So we invest in three core areas, people, process, and technology. So to give you an example on the people front for our healthcare business, in January of 21, we had 21 internal advanced medical employees. Today, we have over 200 and we want to end the year over 300 internal employees. From a process standpoint, we're trying to automate everything that a human touches. We want to take every single administrative task or data entry task off of clinician's plate, off our back office, off our middle office, off our front office. Automation is our best friend. And then we're going, um, we're going big into technology. We launched Advanced Connect, which is a clinician portal in October of 2021. It essentially allows a clinician to come create a profile, give us all the documents we need in order to submit them to a facility. They can search all of our open positions. We have complete pay transparency. And as soon as they apply, we then have a recruiter contact them to take them the rest of the way through the process. We have over 20,000 candidates who've signed up with Advanced Connect in the six months that we've been the product's been live and we're adding features daily, it seems like. And we have several other products in the pipeline to kind of help move us more to being a tech-centric company. Awesome. And is that a mobile app as well or is it web-based? What's the... You ask. I was just yeah. got off a call with our dev team. We're currently... We designed it in C-sharp to start, but we're moving it to Flutter. Flutter will allow us to publish it to the app stores and actually allow us to do feature releases much, much quicker in the future. And it allows you to essentially design design one time, and then you can go to both Android and iPhone oh, nice. simultaneously. So it makes it much, much easier. So it's like we're taking a three-month sort of pause in some aspects to get it to Flutter but it's a slowdown to go much faster, if that makes got it. sense. Yeah, absolutely. The technical, got to pay down the technical debt sometimes or make the big shifts for the long term. So it sounds like you have a dev team in-house. Is that a huge component of your company? I know a lot of staffing firms, when they go to the build versus buy, trying to figure out how to approach things. And I've watched a lot of staffing firms 
build, you know, get the developers in house and then maybe not know necessarily how to manage technology. Have there been challenges with that in terms of learning curve or anything you would like to share with the audience on that front? (laughs) All of the above. So we actually started off with an outsourced development company that essentially designed our MVP and got us to launch date. What we learned through that is one, I am not a good product manager. <laughs> yeah. I'm a product manager. Yeah. So our first technical hire was actually a product manager who's turned out to be an incredible hire for the company because he's been able to do so many other things for us. And while the outside development company did good work for us, we ultimately wanted to control it. And I think we will have a future where we're outsourcing some work on some products while we're controlling kind of core features of our um, most important applications in-house. So yes, we've built a team and are continuing to add to that team. We have a great leader, a VP of IT, great enterprise architects, great developers who, most importantly, they believe in our purpose. They are great cultural fits. So it makes communicating and doing, you know, working through all the, you know, the details much, much easier. That is awesome. And with that, just so I understand a little bit better, with the mobile app, have you rolled it out in just the medical side or is it mobile and IT and cross-functional for the different divisions? That's a great question. So here's my experience. You're not going to get a lot of attention from candidates unless you have thousands and thousands of orders. And on the IT side, that's just not our business model. We are much more snipers on the IT side. We focus in really, really high-end skill sets, high-end developers, DevOps, cloud, machine learning. And we have, while we have hundreds of orders at a time, not thousands, so we didn't feel like that would be the same use case or same ROI to replicate it for the IT side. And also, I think just from a candidate behavior, it probably makes sense. so years ago, we did some research on travel nursing and messaging. And one of the top messages was, you know, search thousands of jobs. And I feel like in the IT space, they're used to having jobs come to them. <laughs> I feel like yeah. it's like, yeah. it's, it's kind of, a, I mean, it goes both ways. Travel nurses are getting pushed as well, but it's definitely a different, different yeah. behavior probably. On that point, I was talking to the chief data architect at LinkedIn. We were having lunch and he was talking to me about software developers in the Bay Area. We're a big user of LinkedIn on the IT side. We're one of our number one communication tool with candidates. And he was saying that on any given day, a developer gets 30 plus messages from different recruiters. And so, you know, that's eye-opening and scary because you've really got to figure out how to stand out in a crowd. So your messages have to be very on point to be able to grab their attention. That's a very, very difficult part on the IT side. So like you said, to reinforce what you said, they are used to just jobs finding them. They don't have to go out to job boards. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, one of the things that I know you and I kind of briefly talked about was that, and I heard you bring it up here, is that you have the different divisions, but then you're also operating these different divisions with different structures in terms of having, I think you have a fully remote team, a hybrid model, and an office team. Could you share a little bit about what you've learned between the different operating the different models and what you think works and doesn't work? Sure. It has been interesting through the pandemic to manage different companies with different working models. So our IT side, the internal team is 100% remote. The hybrid piece we have there is we have some clusters of internal talent who like to go into like a WeWork, maybe once a week, maybe once or twice a month to work together and gain synergies. But um, for the most part, they work out of their house. And 
That was for an old dog like me. It was like a new trip for sure. Um, but the team has responded really well and the growth has been exceptional. So they've asked for it and we continue to reward them. And now we've fully dedicated ourselves to being a remote first company. So that was a big pivot. Obviously, COVID forced it on us. And now I think we're trying to become a great remote first company. And that's a never ending pursuit because you have to continue to meet the needs of your team and your team's needs continually change. And then on the healthcare side, like a lot of staffing companies, we hire folks uh, very junior in their career into recruiting roles. And then we're coaching, mentoring, training, developing, and teaching them the business. That company goes in every day. So we have a huge office, um, kind of uh, 95% of our talent sits in an office in Dallas, and um, they're in the office every single day. We do give them the, uh, the option to work remote. What's interesting, one or two days a week, what's interesting is many times they do not take us up on it. They prefer to come into the office five days a week. And what I found from that is they just enjoy the sense of community and they're, they've made friends, lifelong friends, I think, in some cases, and they enjoy being with each other. Healthcare staffing has just so many details. There's so many recs, so many candidates that we just felt it was easier to execute the business when everybody's under the same roof, when communicating is easier because you can just stand up and talk to the person right next to you or uh, across the pit. It just made solutioning problems much easier. It removed the friction. And with that, one of the things I noticed on your site is you talked about the importance of human connection and empathy in the business. What steps or uh, processes have you put in place to kind of help facilitate the human connection with a remote work environment. I know that's something that a lot of agencies struggle with. Our team, we're constantly navigating that. We have a remote team as well. But I was wondering if you had any specific activities that you do for that. Yeah, I mean, internally, I do think the teams at times enjoy all the remote Zoom, whatever, happy hours, contest games, fitness challenges. But honestly, nothing is going to replace getting together. So what we try to do quarterly is get teams together in either kind of a regional event or some teams are organized by client, get everyone who services a certain client together. Just last week, I'll give you a couple of examples. I took one group to a Dallas Mavericks basketball game and we got a suite. Uh, a couple of days later, another group in Austin, we went to a John Mayer concert. And those obviously were centering business meetings around those events, but nothing replaces seeing each other face-to-face, talking, bonding. Those are really important glue moments from a culture perspective. And maintaining culture and providing a great supportive environment is the number one priority for remote-first companies. Otherwise, it just makes it so much, it makes it so easy for folks just to walk across the street, you know? You've got to find a way to have them really believe in the purpose of the company, really feel like they are bought into the success of their peers. It's not only their own success. I mean, as you know, in staffing, typically it's an intra-dependent atmosphere where, you know, recruiters are really relying on salespeople to close deals for them. Salespeople are really relying on recruiters to bring great candidates to the table. It takes two to tango. And if um, you're not measuring up on either the quality or the quantity, you're then letting somebody else down. And we feel like, you know, if we can make that intradependent mindset really stick with the group, then it's like, hey, 
It's a Friday afternoon. I can cut out early, but you know what? So-and-so is depending on me. So yeah. I'm going to grind hard to the end of the day. And I think that's really important. Awesome. I love that. And I uh, definitely think it's important to get the in-person aspect is so key with that. And I know one of the things that most of the agencies we talk to these days are dealing with some form of the great resignation to a different extent. I know our every brand I know has lost a few key people at some point in the last year. What are you doing to make sure you're retaining the right employees? Well, I would say first and foremost, we feel really fortunate and we have not lost any key individuals. I think partly is like when you're on a winning team, yeah, and um, the times are good. People are making money, their commissions, their bonuses are great. They're proud of helping to build a company. So that's good. Now, what we're continuing to do, we have to show, I think, every single person in the company their next path to promotion. That's a really, really important term for us. So it starts off with, like, say, I'll give you an example. An entry-level recruiter in our company, they enter a two-week training plan when they first join us. And then after those two weeks of training, they have the first path to promotion, which is two phases. Phase one is a 13-week period of time where they essentially, it's all about the numbers. They have to show us they can run an industry pace. Not running a record-breaking four-minute mile. Show us you can run an eight-minute mile. Just show us you can run an industry pace. After that, after they hit those first numbers, then they enter phase two. And phase two is about developing themselves and all the upper-level skills that it takes to really execute the recruiting job well. And so at the end of the phase, two phases, to get promoted into a professional recruiter role, they have to interview with me or one of the presidents. And we do a little role play and they have to pass. And that's the first path to promotion. Then then path to promotions continue after that. And so it goes on and on and on. So even our VPs have their own path to promotion. They have to understand what they need to do, both objectively and subjectively, to move up and assume more responsibility, if that's what motivates them, if that's what they're looking for. So I think that's a big component to retaining people, is showing them what is the next step and how they get there. I love that. And I like that you have it so systemized. I feel like a lot of people talk about it, but actually having it in place where it's clear and people can understand where they're going next is so critical. And with that, you've kind of talked a little bit about how you use people process technology to differentiate your brand. You talk about the culture a lot, um, but are there any kind of specific ways that you go to market to differentiate yourself from the competition or any kind of positioning strategies that you have in place? Yeah. Ultimately, we're going to win on service. So this business is a relationship business. Our people, yeah. our product is people, our sales folks have to be great at building relationships and understanding customer needs. And so we spend an intense amount of time on making sure that they're great at doing just that. I think on the healthcare side, what we're trying to do is build this beautiful marriage of gorgeous, effective technology coupled with the best and exceptional, incredible human experience. And if you can marry those two up, the candidate will feel valued. We started the medical business with one real goal in mind was to treat the clinician like gold. And if we did that, they would reward us with their hard work, with their loyalty, and with referrals. That is our mission. We are not perfect at that. We at times let them down. I talk to the team a lot about progress over perfection. We know we're never going to be perfect. There's always there's going to be a payroll issue here, 
a time card issue there. But look, we need to be able to resolve those issues quickly and get back to treating them like gold. So that's kind of our mantra here. Makes sense. Are you um, with that or using any measure? Are you doing MPS measurements? Are you doing things to make sure you're tracking along those lines? Yeah, we do a lot of surveys. I think the team gets a little annoyed at me. So we have to play with the frequency of our surveys. <laughs> we like feedback. And yeah. one of the good things is like when you do survey your team, you have to be very transparent in communicating back to the team what the group told you, both positive and negative. And then you have to digest the information and then come back and circle back and say, here is what we're going to do to improve. And if you get in a rhythm and you get your leadership team in a rhythm of doing that, it's much easier to, one, accept responsibility for the faults or weaknesses and talk about it openly as a group and then also have everybody moving in the same direction to solve those problems. If you try to sweep things under the rug or ignore major issues, people are going to think you're a fraud. You know, and they're going to, you get a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking or side seat driving. A lot of people want to be the president of the company and make calls because they're so frustrated that something's broken. So you never want them to feel like that. So you need to give them, you know, especially in a remote atmosphere, lots of ability to give us feedback. So I think that's incredibly important. And then not only doing it internally, but as you just alluded to talking to your consultant base and talking to your client base about how you can improve. Such a huge part. Being like a CEO or president of a company is having your finger on the pulse. And if you don't ask the questions, then you're just guessing. And I guarantee you, you'll be wrong or not wrong, <laughs> but your, your, your picture will be incomplete because there's things out there that are hidden. And the only way to unearth them is to ask frequently what we can do better. I love that. And I completely agree with that mantra and, and that approach. So do you uh, are you using any technology to enable this or any, it sounds like you're big in automation. Do you have this, this process all automated and kind of the feedback? How are you handling that? I think from a basic standpoint, we just use SurveyMonkey. Our marketing, okay. our marketing team takes care of all of that and then aggregates the data for us. We have a template in which they... Yep. Um, give it to the leadership team. So we're used to digesting it in the same format over and over again. Got it. That works. And I know you did talk about the automation and we kind of jumped into your app. Are there any other tools that you've implemented over the last few years? Or it sounds like you're developing a lot of them, but are there other automations you put in place with your team to help drive efficiency that have been especially powerful? Well, good email and texting campaigns and software that enables that is extremely important. So we use both Sense and then uh, another tool called Active Campaign. Yep. To, you got to have a constant drip to certain populations of your stakeholders that you're yep. trying to influence. I think that's really important. And then we're doing lots of stuff internally to take the administrative burden off of a recruiter's plate. I don't want the recruiter dubbing a resume or checking references, or doing really anything paperwork related, okay? Yep. I want it all to be seamless. So we have, in healthcare staffing, you have something called a package that you submit to a healthcare facility that has, it's a combination of seven or eight documents for the clinician. And so we have like this automatic package builder that makes it extremely easy at the touch of a button to build a package for the recruiter. 
before that tool was in place, it could take somebody, maybe a rookie, it would take 35 or 40 minutes for them to cobble this thing together and make it look good in Adobe. And now they can do it at the touch of a button. There's similar things like that in Advanced Connect. If a clinician gives us their references, as soon as the references are put into Connect, we auto check them via text message. So you're saving the recruiters from having to check those references. So a variety of things like that to speed up from when we first talk to a candidate to when we can present them to the client. In today's market, that is... Uh, speed that market's market. everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah market's it, it, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the order volume has, has decreased significantly in healthcare staffing. When recs are released in the MSP segment of our business, you've got to submit your qualified candidates within minutes, not hours. Really? Yeah, because what will happen, like if a hospital in, say, Atlanta sent out yeah. ER days opening, they would have, depending on their vendor community, probably 100 submittals within 24 hours. Wow. You know? So you need to be within the first 10 or 15 minutes. And so there's a lot of work that has to be done the front end to be able to respond that quickly. So um, you have to be proactive. And so on the healthcare side, it's really having that pool of candidates. So within 10 minutes of that rec going up, you're submitting every, you know, as many people that fit that criteria as possible. Right. To be first, first to market. Yeah. Yeah. Prepackaged. You know exactly that that clinician would want that site for that pay range and you're able to move quickly. And so that takes a lot of relationship building with the clinician. Clinician has to do a lot of work on the front end to give us the information And we have to have a strong relationship and they have to trust us to be able to submit on their behalf. And with that, I mean, you're kind of talking a little bit about some of the trends in healthcare staffing going through MSP, the force, you know, moving towards uh, improving speed to market and getting the candidates to the vendor as quickly as possible. What are some other major trends you see in kind of the healthcare staffing or in IT? And are they overlapping or they're kind of differentiated in a pretty meaningful way in terms of where the markets are going? In healthcare staffing, I think the two biggest themes are technology as being very, very disruptive and two, mergers and acquisitions. There are an insatiable appetite for companies to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So lots of acquisitions have happened the last couple of years. There's many, many more that are coming. And so instead of a bunch of two, three, $400 million players, there's going to be many, many more billion dollar players and all in an arms race to have more recruiters, have more end clients, have more technology. And that's just going to continue to accelerate. On the IT side, MSP is where still the high volume accounts are. And we do play in some MSP, but the majority of our success comes with direct kind of SOW type relationships. And I think the things that we have to do there is we have to provide a full service that matches the customer's needs, not some out of the box thing. You have to tailor it to them. And I think that's really important. And you have to essentially build a fence around your business because anytime a competitor smells oh, you have 50 people there or 100 people in this group, they're coming for it. And so how do you protect it and continue to exceed the client's expectations year after year after year? I mean, as soon as you get complacent in staffing, that business is gone. As soon as the client thinks you're overcharging them, they're going to look for cheaper solutions. So you've got to show value to justify your rate structure. 
And kind of talking about your kind of tactics, uh, jumping back a little bit, but with your growth strategy, are you looking at acquisitions as well? Or are you looking at organic growth? We're an organic growth company. We like to control the culture. We like to promote from within. We're really, really careful when we hire leaders from the outside. They have to be a culture fit and match. That vibe and just being a great person with a caring, empathetic heart is priority number one. The leadership team and I were fiercely protective of the culture. That is an internal secret sauce. I love it. No one else can duplicate. And as you've probably seen over the course of your career, you're going to hire people who aren't good for they aren't good for staffing. Doesn't make them a bad person. Doesn't yeah. make the company a bad company. But as long as they come to that conclusion and they're a good person and we're providing a supportive environment, you can part amicably and you're not causing any kind of toxic moments in the company. Because when you're losing internal folks from attrition, those are big changes for the team. And you don't want that to be disruptive because somebody felt like they weren't being treated properly. Too many, I've had too many headaches over the course of my career working at the big companies where I just saw poor exits turn the culture upside down. Yeah. And I've learned the hard way over the years that just because somebody can get the job done, if they don't fit the culture, <laughs> long, the long run trajectory for them, it's not going to be a good fit. So I feel that it makes complete sense. With that, the last question I had kind of on advances specifically, and I'm jumping back to the tech stuff, but with the healthcare side, your app, I was just thinking about, are you trying to get to a spot where, you know, there's a lot of the Uberization of staffing, getting to an area where companies are trying to essentially have people almost book their next assignment end to end. Do you see that as something that will be disruptive to the industry or an area that you're going towards? Yes. So here's how we view our engagement with our candidate base. So there's definitely 100% a percentage of the population, mostly younger, but not necessarily, who they like to do everything online. They shop online, social media online, they date online. So guess what? They want to find a job online. Then there's a percentage of the population who wants the concierge, white glove service. They want their recruiter to be their friend, their travel agent, and they want their handheld all the way through the process. In reality, I think the best model moving forward will probably be a way for a candidate to self-service digitally, but then have a human at any point of the process they're at a moment's notice to interact and answer questions or remove friction. And so they'll bounce back and forth between technology and human, technology and human at their own discretion. I think that's where we end up landing. And that's, we're trying to build all three models and be great in all three areas. But yes, you will see, and there already are platforms out there that essentially can be a completely digital experience. In travel nursing, we still like having people involved, but we are moving to a model where if they choose not to, then they can just have a digital experience with us. I'm sure you know about per diem staffing. Yep. I think that model has moved even much more fast or quickly to just a completely digital footprint where the nurses are just booking themselves yep. shifts on all these different. It's going to pick up the shifts. I've already certified. I've got my licenses. So let me, yeah. 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 
Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. And you brought the travel agent. I think that's the best analogy for uh, where we are today, where it's like we've had travel agencies and now uh, now you can do most of it online. You still go to a travel agent if you want. But over time, I think that things will shift more in that direction. With that, I'm going to kind of jump into the more personal human questions here, um, yeah. the rapid fire side. So is there any advice that you wish you were given before entering the stacking industry? I never really realized how up and down the industry would be. And just being patient and riding out the roller coaster, never getting too high, never getting too low. If you just are disciplined and consistent with your work ethic, you'll be successful. I think the other piece of advice I wish I maybe trusted my heart a little bit earlier was I always had this entrepreneurial spirit, always wanted to start companies. I didn't get to that until you know 20 plus years in the business. I wish I had done it earlier if I could go back and do it. But love the companies that I'm participating with today wouldn't change anything. But if I ever could go back in time. Do it earlier. Go, go out there and start the business. Yeah. Trust in yourself. Bet on yourself. Yeah. Yep. I love that. And the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Personally, it was tracking my macros. I was about to turn 40. My wife asked me what we we're going to do to celebrate. And I said, I traveled like a, I was a road warrior. I was like, please, I don't want to go on any trips because I'm in the airplane airports all the time. So I sat long and hard. I was like, what am I going to give myself when I turn 40? And I was like, I'm going to give myself the gift of health. And so I figured out how to track macros. That I dropped like 20, 25 pounds. And wow feel better. I try to keep, David, I try to keep my life very simple. You know, I only try to focus on being good in three areas. One, I want to be a a great husband and dad. Two, I want to be a great CEO and founder and owner. And then three, health and fitness. And if I'm good at health and fitness, it helps me be better in one and two. I don't golf. I don't have a lot of outside hobbies. I just try to keep it super simple, be good at those three things. And that's plenty (laughs) on my plate. And so that's enough work for me. That's great. And what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, et cetera. Well, I probably would go back to the macro tracker on my phone. It was like, I use an app called My Net Diary. By tracking my food intake each day, it actually gives me permission to have those cheat meals or to feel okay to have a couple of drinks when I'm out with the team because I can just budget for it. Works with my mindset. And in the same regards, I, I subscribe to an online coach. His name's Corey G. He has an app. He's got these insane workouts that continue to challenge me in the gym. So those two things, they're on my home screen on my phone, right? When <laughs> I love it. Hide from them. And so every day I'm in both of them. I love that. And what are the bad recommendations you hear in your profession or area of expertise? Bad recommendations. Um, I think one of the things that we've benefited from the most this past year is hiring people from our competitors, where our competitors made, in my opinion, short-sighted decisions based on their compensation or not being flexible with work models. And it drove some top performers out of their company and into our arms, which we happily welcomed. I get it. If a PE firm gets involved or you're positioning to be sold, you're cutting costs. I'm not saying these folks are dumb individuals or dumb business people. But as soon as the employee feels less valued, as soon as they feel like a number, as soon as you mess with their comp, 
you basically just have to resign yourself to that that person is probably leaving. So if you're making that decision, just know you're losing great talent. And there's companies like ours who are going to pick them up and benefit from it. That's great. That's great. And uh, what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Yeah, there's two. One, since we hire so many folks that are like junior in their career, right out of school, the one we give them is The Defining Decade. It's Why Your 20s Matter. It's written by a PhD, Meg Ryan. She's out of, uh, was out of UVA. And the Cliff Notes version is, look, your 20s set up your 30s and your 30s set up the rest of your life. So you got to get your 20s right. Find a company that's going to invest in you, somewhere where you can grow personally, professionally, financially, somewhere where your leader cares about you. Essentially, don't date losers and don't take dead-end jobs. And then your 20s will be good. And then your 30s, you can set up the rest of your life. The other book we love, and we make all of our leaders read it, and it's really the framework for our, our leadership team, is a book called Lead Simply. It's a very small, slender book. You could read it in 15 minutes probably, but it's got a leadership framework that I think helps brand new leaders kind of organize themselves and be disciplined. It's built around three key concepts, model, connect, and involve. So one, a leader is always modeling the right behaviors or a behavior. So if you're coming in early, staying late, working through lunch, guess what your team's going to do? They're going to come in early, stay late. Exactly. And vice versa. If you're cutting corners, your team cuts corners. Two, you got to connect with your teams. And so you, they have to know that you care about them as a person first and foremost, before they'll trust you or listen to your professional guidance. And then three, and this is really important for new managers, is you've got to involve them in the running of your business. You must delegate and empower. And so if you can model, connect, and involve effectively, you create the holy grail of leadership, which is peer-to-peer accountability. So when you go on vacation, the team is self-managing and self-policing themselves and holding themselves accountable. And so it's a really important aspect of our business. Our leaders talk about it constantly to get promoted into a management or leadership role at our companies. I take you through a model connected and involved exercise where you're talking to me about what you're doing in all three categories uh, with your team. And uh, I verify that you are actually doing what you're saying, but it gives them a way to organize their leadership behaviors. That's really great. I'm going to be taking a look at it myself. That sounds like a great book. So, and, and I like the simplicity of it. I feel like there's so many models that uh, just get a little bit too elaborate. Last question I have for you is uh, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? You know, I think we all want to get promoted really quickly in our careers. And if I look back on like some of the key pivotal moments in my career, there were a few times where I didn't get the job, but how much that benefited me is actually pretty crazy because one, it made me either double down or made me be introspective in what I need to do to get better and maybe work harder and maybe reach higher, maybe hungrier. So it hurts in the moment, but you have to do autopsies, learn from those moments, and then actually have the self-awareness to change and evolve and adapt. And if you can do that, then you know I think with hard work and relationship building, successful follow and staffing. That is great. Dan, it was really nice having you on the show today. Do you have any closing comments that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, I think it's a great time to be in staffing. The next, the rest of this year, it's all green lights. 
It's going to be, I think, one of the best year-over-year growth years for both IT and healthcare staffing that the industry has maybe ever seen. And so with so much opportunity out there, attack your days, make the most of it because there's the roller coaster will continue. There will be down years. Make the money while you can. Oh, that's great. Thanks again for being on, Dan. Really appreciate the conversation. Very insightful. And I hope you have a great day. Thank you, David. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.